passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Take out your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 4. We are going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34 this morning, so you can get prepared with your text. Last week, we were studying the parable of the soils, which is the first 20 verses of Mark chapter 4. Now, at first, it sounds like we're just studying one parable last week, and it wasn't that big of a deal, though it was 20 verses long. However, the parable of the soils had right smack in the middle of it one of the most challenging verses in the New Testament about God hardening hearts. So we had some rough terrain to cover last week and a lot of deep theology to think about, especially in your life groups during the, during the week. Today, I have to tell you that uh, it's a little bit smoother sailing. It won't be quite as difficult, but we do have 15 verses to cover, so we're going to move rather quickly. I'm not going to pre-read the text. We're going to actually get into the text in short order. Now, before we look at the new parables of the kingdom today, uh, because the parable of the soils was such an important teaching for us, I'm going to briefly take a few moments to review it with you. And what Jesus wants us to know in the parable of the soils is that when we share the good news of Jesus Christ with our friends and neighbors in this world, there will be four different types of responses that we will receive from people, which is similar to four different types of soil that a farmer's seed falls on when he casts it sowing in his field. And here are the four responses. We'll cover these quickly just by way of repetition. Some hearts are like hard-packed soil. They are unresponsive to the gospel. You can tell some people how much God loves them. You can tell them that Jesus died for them. You can beg with them. You can plead with them. But it's going to be like a bullet off a rock going into their heart. They will laugh at you. They will mock you. They will belittle you. And the thing we need to understand is the problem is not with us sharing. The problem is not with the impotence of the gospel seed. The problem is with the hardness of a heart that is resistant to the gospel truth. And we need to know this because oftentimes when we share the gospel to people that are hard against us, it can be very discouraging, can't it? We can begin to think we're doing something wrong or maybe the gospel doesn't connect anymore. That's not it. It's the hardness of a heart and God has to break up that hard heart to be able to receive the good news. Now, the other way we saw that some people respond is this. Some hearts are like rocky soil. They respond superficially to the gospel and fall away when the gospel costs something. There will be people out there, you tell them about Jesus Christ, they will be initially excited about Jesus Christ. They will probably get involved in church, they'll get involved doing things for Christ, and you'll be thrilled with it. But the problem is, as soon as it costs them to follow Christ. As soon as it's hard to follow Christ, they will quickly fall away. It's like seed that was cast onto rocky soil that springs up quickly, but when the heat of the sun and the baking of the day, 
comes on, it quickly withers and dies because it has no root. Now, in Jesus' ministry, these were the crowds. We've seen He has crowds of 10,000, 12,000, 15,000 people following Him at this point because He's giving out free lunch, free healings. It's great. But we're going to see as we get further into the gospel, as he gets closer to the cross, and Jesus says things such as, take up your cross and follow me, that his crowds scatter. Like cockroaches when a light goes on, they quickly go away because they don't want a gospel that costs them anything. And we need to expect that. That some people will share the gospel, they'll be excited about it, but they'll fall away from it. It's not us. Nothing we did wrong. It's the soil of the heart that received it. The third thing was this. Some hearts are like weed-infested soil. The cares and pleasures of this world choke their spiritual life, and they never produce spiritual fruit. Some people will hear the good news of Jesus. They'll respond to the good news of Jesus. But when it comes to following Jesus, there'll really be no fruit out of their life. And fruit means that seed reproduces itself. They don't reproduce themselves. Because like seed that is in thorny soil, the thorns end up sucking all the nutrients out of the ground. And so the farmer's seed never goes to... (laughs) reproduce itself. Now, there are many people that have the cares and the pleasures and the interest of this world sucking away all their time and energy. So at the end of their spiritual life, there's been no productivity for Christ in their life. We should expect that's the way sometimes it works with people. They respond to the gospel, but they don't ever multiply themselves with the gospel because they're too busy with other things. The last point was this from last week. Some hearts are good soil. They are prepared by God and produce an abundant spiritual harvest. God, through trials and tribulations, sometimes breaks up the hard soil of a heart, and He takes out the rocks in that soil And he cleans the weeds out of that soil. And the soil is good soil. And all that is needed is for somebody to cast the gospel seed, to plant the gospel seed. And the response from that point forward is an amazing, unexpected harvest of fruitfulness for Christ in that life. Now, what we need to remember with the parable of the soils is there's some hard news in it, but there's some incredibly good news in it. The hard news is that we should expect that there will be people who will be hard and resistant to the gospel, who will mock us and laugh at us and not have any response to the gospel no matter how hard we try. But it's not our fault. It's their hardness of the heart issues. We should expect there'll be some people who respond quickly but then fall away. Other people who respond but then are never fruitful. Those are the hard news. That's the hard news in this parable. But the incredibly good news is this, and we need to take this to heart. There are people out there where God has prepared the soil of their heart to receive the gospel seed. And all we need to do is give the gospel to them. 
tell them about how much God loves them, that Jesus died for them, that he wants to make them into a completely new creation when they trust him. And that gospel seed will germinate in their heart and produce an amazing harvest for Christ. Way beyond what we ever would expect or imagine. So be encouraged when you share the gospel with your friends and neighbors, which is what we're supposed to do. Some will reject him, but other people will have good soil in their heart prepared to receive it. Now, what we go from here is we've seen um, the responses to the gospel in the first 20 verses. Now, from this point forward, we see more teaching on the gospel. In fact, what we're going to see is the importance of sharing the gospel. In these, We're going to see the importance of listening to the gospel. We're going to see the importance of how the gospel grows. And we're going to see how the kingdom goes in what are these small, four small parables that come after the parable of the soils. So here we are in point two, the parable of the lamp. Now, technically, some people may say this is not a parable, this is an analogy. Okay, if you want to split hairs, that's fine, but it's a parable in the sense that it's a, a, a heavenly truth that is being explained by an earthly analogy. So, it, it, technically, you can call it a parable. And here's what it is. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. We'll begin with this first part. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or a bed and not on a stand? Now, when he talks about a lamp, he's talking about what is a clay pot lamp. Jeremy, could you put that up there for me? There it is. That's sort of what one of these look like. It's a clay pot with oil inside, and there's a wick on the front, and it's a floating wick, and they would light this. Now, you need to understand the way things worked in the ancient world. There is no electricity. There is no light bulbs. When it gets dark at night, it gets really, really dark. This is their source of light. Lamps at that time are extremely valuable because everybody wants some light at night. Everybody needs some light at night. And he says, you wouldn't light one of these in your house and then put a basket over it. The baskets that they're talking about, incidentally, was a grain basket. You can tell that in the Greek. It's about a little over two gallons in size. He says you wouldn't dump out your grain basket and then put it over a lamp because you'd have absolutely no light in your house and it wouldn't make any sense because you couldn't see anything. And he says you wouldn't put a lamp like that under your bed either. The bed he's talking about is a, is a Roman-style bed. The Jewish beds, by the way, were mats that were rolled on the ground and then in the morning were rolled up and put against the wall. But the Romans, they had the beds that we're used to, which are on a frame, which have legs on them to get off the ground. And so you wouldn't put one of these lamps under a bed because if you put a lamp under a basket, it would have absolutely no light if you put a lamp under a bed, it would shine light, but it would shine a minimal amount of light because it's just coming out from under the bed. No, you'd take a lamp like this and you'd put it on a lamp stand 
Because if you have light, you want to shine light because everybody is in desperate need of light. And this is what he's saying. I put it in your outlines for you. Everyone who has the light of the gospel has an obligation to share it, not to hide it. Imagine it this way. You were, imagine it's summer, which is a nice thing to imagine right now. And you are driving home from an appointment with a friend of yours. You're driving through the fields, and you have a flat tire. You and your friend get out, and you start to change the tire, and you realize that nobody has a cell phone, nobody has a flashlight, and you're trying to change a tire in pitch darkness at night. You're trying to do it all by feel. It's, it's difficult to get those lug nuts and to not lose those lug nuts and to get the tire out and to make sure you actually have the jack in the right place. About 30 minutes into the process, you reach your hand in the park, you hit your hand into your pocket and you say, um, should I turn on my flashlight? What do you think your friend would say to you at that point? You mean you've had the light all this time and you didn't even shine it for me to see? How could you? This is the exact same scenario that we have that Jesus is talking about. The world we live in is a world of darkness, spiritual darkness. And we have been given the light. Our responsibility is to shine it for everyone to see, not to hide it so no one can see it, not to put it under a bed so we shine it minimally. We are to shine it because everybody actually needs it whether they know it or not. And once they realize it, the gospel light, what is their response? Why didn't you shine it earlier? I so desperately needed it the whole time. Now, we live in a world that tells us to keep our faith to ourselves. We live in a world that says, well, keep your Sunday on Sunday and don't share about what you believe. But Jesus says something very different. Our responsibility is to shine our light in this world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I have come to shine it in a world of darkness. Jesus also says, we are to be the light in this dark world. Now, to throw an interesting wrinkle in here, while Mark is talking about shining the light of the gospel and sharing the truth of Jesus Christ, Matthew takes this similar saying of Jesus, and he talks about it another way we can shine our light, the way we do our good works. I put this on your outline for you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what we see is there's two ways we shine our light ultimately. Part is through our words, talking about Jesus, and that also through our works. Then there's an interesting part on the tail end here. Jesus says this, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Jesus, what are you saying? You just talked about shining our lights. Now things are hidden. 
but they will be made manifest. What Jesus is saying is there is a right time to shine this light. And by the way, this right time hasn't come yet. It's similar to Christmas. You know, when you go out and you buy your kids Christmas presents, you don't give them when you buy them the presents. You save them to the right time, which is Christmas morning. Now, read this in context and understand this. Last week, we saw Jesus. He has been clearly teaching the gospel for a year and a half, almost two years at this point with his teachings and with casting out demons and healing people. But there was a decisive shift that just took place. Jesus is now teaching in parables, which would conceal truth to those who are hard-hearted against him, the scribes and the religious leaders, but the parables would be revealing truth to his disciples because he explained the meaning of the parables in private to them later on in the day. So Jesus has just entered a time when he is concealing truth from the religious leaders out there by speaking in parables to them, by speaking in riddles to them. But he's saying it won't always be that way. What is hidden will soon be made manifest. In fact, when you go out to Mark chapter 6, which will be coming very quickly, what we find Jesus sends out his apostles on their first uh, short-term missionary journey, sends them out two by two, and are they speaking in riddles and parables at that point? Absolutely not. They're explaining the clear message of the gospel. So this is what he's saying. There's way there's a time that truth is being hidden, which is right now because he's speaking in parables around the religious leaders. There's going to come a time where it's completely revealed. Now, let's move on to the next part here, which is called the parable of the measure, or if you want to be technical, you can call it the analogy of the measure. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The key thing to understand what is going on here is this small piece in the front where he says, pay attention to what you hear. What he's talking about here is the attitude and attentiveness we have when truth of the kingdom is presented to us. Now, you and I know what it's like when we're in church. I could be talking, another pastor could be talking, and all of a sudden, the person who's talking starts to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. And our mind is off thinking about a football game or what we're going to do in the afternoon. And we're not paying attention to the spiritual truth that we're given. We may read our Bibles in the morning. And I know what it's like because I've done it too. You're like, oh, I'm short on time. I'm going to read as fast as I possibly can. You skim through it. And if somebody was to ask you five minutes later what you read, you would have absolutely no idea because we're not paying attention to the spiritual truth that we are given. We're not really learning anything. 
What Jesus is talking here, Jesus is talking about how we hear spiritual truth that is presented to us. And this is what he's saying. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. In other words, the more seriously we pursue actually hearing, actually absorbing, actually obeying spiritual truth that is given to us, the more spiritual truth will be revealed to us. Because it's so easy to hear but not actually listen. It's easy to hear but then put off obeying. He says here when you listen, the better you listen to God's truth and apply God's truth, more will be given to you. And I love the way he says this. It's not just an equal measure to how you hear, but it's far beyond how you even hear that he reveals that truth. And still more will be added to you. Now, this parable, or this truth of the measure, or this analogy of the measure, if you are able to do your life group worksheets this week, I actually put a bunch of stuff about the, the, this truth of the measure in there. And you can see it's applied in Scripture to a variety of things. It's applied to relationships, like how we treat others is going to be the way that they treat us. It's applied to spiritual learning and growth in all kinds of ways. Paul applies this, by the way, in just general relationships in general and um, how we do things. Like he says here, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. In other words, what you're, the effort you're putting into something will often be the effort you get and the reward you get out of something. It's just simple farming truth. Now, in this context, what he's pointing out is this. The spiritual growth we experience will be in proportion to the spiritual growth we pursue. The spiritual growth we experience will be in proportion to, be, to the spiritual growth we pursue. So, we have to ask ourselves today, how careful are we today to actually listen, apply, and absorb the Word of God into our lives? Let's just be honest about it. Whenever we're in a place where myself or any other pastor is teaching, it's really important for us to pay attention and to absorb, to take notes, to try and learn. Not just to forget the spiritual truth that is given to us, but to absorb it. When you read your Bible in the morning, how much effort do you put into actually absorbing that truth? Do you highlight important verses? Do you write those things down in a journal so you can go back to them? Do you ever take a verse and commit it to memory and commit it to heart so God can keep bringing it back to you anytime? You will get far more spiritual growth in your life when you pursue spiritual growth in your life. God will reveal more truth to you. This is what he is saying. But there's a backside to this. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
The one who pursues spiritual truth gets more spiritual truth. But the one who has a little spiritual truth but continually ignores it, guess what happens? He starts to lose the little spiritual truth that he has. Now, parables are just talking about the way life works in the kingdom of God. And so it's very important for us to continue to pursue Christ. The line I put in here for you to summarize it is this. When we hear and obey God's Word, we are given more understanding. But if we ignore God's Word, the little understanding we have will be taken away. So, as your pastor, I beg you, I really honestly do, as men and women, as mothers and fathers, Pursue knowing Jesus. Pursue absorbing the spiritual truth that you are, is put in front of you, whether that's through a pulpit, whether that's through personal Bible study, whether that's through life groups, whether that's through youth group, whether that's through Awana. Don't just have it go in one ear and out the other Absorb it. Apply it. Make changes in your life because of it. Be obedient to it. And I guarantee you, God will continue to grow you and mature you into the image of Christ. How we hear matters. That's when he says, pay attention to how you hear. Now, the third one, the parable of the growing seed says this. And he said to them, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. What this is teaching us about the kingdom of God is that spiritual growth in the kingdom of God is ultimately God's work. It's ultimately not a work we do in others. And he's, he says, think about this. It's like the farmer. The farmer's job is to what? Plant the seed. But does the farmer make the seed germinate? Absolutely not. He doesn't make the seed germinate. Is it the farmer's responsibility to run out to the field and tell the seed and inform the seed that now is the time to put out leaves? Absolutely not. Does he tell the seed that it's time to produce fruit? He doesn't do that. The seed grows, produces leaves, produces fruit all by itself. This is what happens. God is responsible for creating spiritual life in us, and God is ultimately the one responsible for maturing spiritual life in us. He is the one who grows us up. Now, lest there be any misunderstanding, it is important, is it important that we sit under the Bible and we read our Bible and we're under spiritual teachers and we're in Crossman's University classes and all variety of other things that give us the opportunity to grow? Yes, of course. We need to have those things. But being part of those things doesn't make us grow. God is the one who germinates the gospel seed in our life, and God is the one who causes the maturity 
of the gospel seed in our life. God asks us simply to scatter the seed of the gospel. He will take care of growing the gospel seed and he'll grow it to full maturity. It's all about him. He gets all the credit. We get none of the credit. And he says this, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. I love this little phrase, by itself. You may want to put that down. It's the Greek word, automate, which is where we get our English word, automatic. That in the seed, it automatically knows how to produce all the necessary pieces within itself to come to full maturity. Think about this when it comes to spiritual life and growth. The responsibility God has given us is to spread the gospel seed. We spread that seed. Some people will be hard ground against it. Some people will be rocky ground. Some people will be thorny ground. But God is the one who germinates that seed and people are born again. And God is the one who ultimately brings that seed to full maturity in people's lives. This is important because it takes huge pressure off of our shoulders. It is not our responsibility to make someone spiritually mature. We can't do that. We can provide opportunities. We can provide teaching. We can provide resources. We can get people into God's Word. But God is ultimately the one who produces spiritual life and spiritual maturity in people's lives. That's the way the kingdom works. Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And also in your life group worksheets, if you're able to do them, there's a fair amount of study on this principle of the seed and the growth. The last parable is this, the parable of the mustard seed. And he said to them, With what can I compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. As soon as we go to this parable, you need to know that there are some people who really have a problem with this parable because it says that a mustard seed is, one of the, is the smallest seed on the face of the earth. Now, I'm going to have a photo put up there of a mustard seed. This, a mustard seed is actually about the size of a grain of sand. So it is a super small seed. Now, what some people have taken issue with this is and said the Bible is wrong is they've discovered that there actually are seeds out there that are smaller than a mustard seed. In the Amazon rainforest, there's orchids, and some orchids have seeds that are as small as specks of dust. And they say, see, the Bible is wrong. How do we answer them about this? It's really not that hard. In ancient Palestine... The mustard seed was the smallest seed on the face of the earth. They don't know anything about orchids in the Amazonian rainforests. Not that hard. Context is king. 
But what you need to understand is the size to which a mustard plant grows. Now, Jeremy, put this up there. There's a, I have a picture of a mustard plant coming up. This is a guy who's trying to show off a mustard plant. Now, remember, this all started from something the size of a grain of sand. It is huge. Now, there is one other thing I want to show you, and I'm not too sure. I'm not like a plant geneticist, but as I kept searching these on Google, I kept running across mustard trees. So maybe they come from a different type of seed. Maybe it's all wrong. I could be wrong, but there's also something called a mustard tree. So quite possibly, that came from that same size seed that was as big as a grain of sand. And what Jesus is saying is, you need to understand the kingdom of God is going to grow way beyond your expectations. And here's where you need to think how this works. Jesus has all these crowds that are around him, 10,000, 12, 15,000. Of course, the crowds disperse as we get closer to the cross. After the cross, Acts 1.15, we find it's 120 people who are his disciples that are meeting together in Jerusalem. That's a small group, 120. But then the day of Pentecost comes, and the Holy Spirit comes, and Peter preaches his first sermon, and 3,000 are added to the church in one day. Then the gospel begins to tear through the ancient world and in cities of the world, and churches are growing by wildfire. It's like crazy. A little over 200 years later, Constantine makes Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Today, one-third of the people on the face of the earth would consider themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. Sounds like a mustard seed to me grew from almost nothing to take over the entire world. And he says here about birds perching in the, the trees or in the, the branches. It's actually, by the way, a, a borrowing of a uh, prophecy from Ezekiel chapter 17 talking about the kingdom of God actually being a blessing to the nations of the entire world. So, that's pretty cool. So the kingdom of God may start small, but it will eventually grow to bless the nations. And I like the way it says this in Revelation about what it's like around God's throne. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. That's a lot of people. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The kingdom of God may start small like a mustard seed, but it'll grow to bless the entire nations. Then this section ends with these words. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, and as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Now, let me summarize what we learned from these four parables. Number one, the good news of Jesus is like having a lamp. We are to shine it, not hide it under a bed or under a basket. 
Our job is to share the good news of Jesus in this world. We're to shine our light. Number two, we must not just hear God's Word, but we must apply it to our life. How we respond to God's Word leads to either spiritual growth or to decline. Be careful how you hear. Focus on hearing, learning, applying, and absorbing, and God will grow us. Number three, God calls us to plant the seed of the gospel. He will take care of germinating the seed of the gospel, plus He will take care of bringing it to full maturity. All we do is provide opportunities for growth, but God is the one who actually provides the spiritual growth in our lives. He gets all the credit and all the glory. And lastly, the kingdom of God may start out small, but it will grow to bless the entire nations. We're going to close the service this morning by taking the Lord's Supper together, by going back to the fact that our relationship with God is through Jesus Christ alone and what He has done for us. We practice open communion here at Crosswinds, which means if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to join us in celebrating the Lord's Supper together. We just ask that you would hold the elements and then that we would take them together once they've been distributed, and I'll lead you in that. But as the elements of the Lord's Supper are being distributed, what I want you to do as you hold the bread and the juice, and you think of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, taking on flesh to die in our place for our sins, I want you to ponder on two of these things we studied this morning. That God calls us to be a light, to share and spread the gospel seed. Talk to Jesus about how we are doing with our light. Are we hiding it under a basket? Are we hiding it under a bed? Or are we letting it shine? The other thing I'd like you to talk to the Lord about as the, the elements are being passed is how are we hearing the spiritual truth that is being given to us? Are we absorbing it? Are we applying it so God will continue to give us more? Or are we just uh, not paying any attention to it? And are we starting to lose the little spiritual truth we already know? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for these small parables of the kingdom. I ask that you would help us to be better lights in this world, a world of darkness, Please help us, Lord, to know how to shine our light with our words and with our works. I ask also that you would help us to absorb the spiritual truth that is so frequently given to us through teaching and through Bible study and through life groups. Help us to apply and absorb things, not forget things. I also thank you that you don't just grow the gospel in people's lives. And so they're born again, but you bring them to full maturity. And we can know that you're in charge of that. Now, Father, I thank you so much that we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to be remembering how blessed we are to have the very Son of God to bring us into a relationship with you. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. 
Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.